Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, August 30th, 2020, we continue our new series titled The Ideal, a study in Colossians. Today's sermon, The Ideal Walk, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Enjoy. Let me invite you to grab your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 1. This morning we are in verses 9 through 14, talking about the ideal walk. The ideal walk and how the ideal walk requires growth. The Christian life is meant to be a process of growth, not stagnation and stalls, but growth. I don't know if you ever do this. My wife and I like to do this thing where we pull up old pictures of our kids and reminisce and just see how far they've come, see what they used to look like compared to what they look like now. Any parents do this occasionally? Like you scroll through your, your camera roll and maybe you do it with your grandkids or, or anything like this. This is the, the baby pictures of my four kids. If we can get that up. Yeah, that's my crew. Um, top left, that's Elijah, he's eight now. On the top right, that's Jude. The bottom left is Audrey. And the bottom right, who most of you have not been able to meet because she's a COVID baby. She was born during that whole thing. That's Evangeline Joy. And we're um, super grateful to have them all. And we look at these pictures, and while we're looking at the pictures, we like to say things like, wouldn't it be great if they stayed like this forever? (laughs) Right until the next day as you're like nose pin on the nose and changing a nasty one. You're like, I can't wait till this kid grows up, (laughs) right? Till they go out and get a job and do their thing and fly the coop and and all that. So this is a picture of my kids now. Um, Here's all four of them grown up to the first day of school. Again, that's Eli, he's eight. Jude's in the top right, he's six. Audrey is four, and Evangelina's four months. So it's fun fun to look back and see how much they've grown. Uh, and, And honestly, I think we should be able to do the same thing with our Christian life, shouldn't we? We should be able to look back and see how much we've grown looked back and see who we once were and through and, and how through Christ who we've become this person that we are now. The, the ideal walk, the ideal Christian life requires growth because healthy things grow, right? Trees to toddlers, physical things to spiritual things, healthy things are meant to grow. 1 Corinthians 3, you're not there yet, so let me go ahead and read this passage to you. Um, This is the Apostle Paul addressing the church in Corinth, and see if you can sense this fatherly frustration that he has towards the church. He says this, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. He calls them brothers, so they're Christians, but he says, Christians, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. I could only address you as fleshly people, as infants in Christ, like these kindergarten Christians, these little baby Christians, and all of us are there at some point, right? At some point, everyone's young in the faith. At some point, everyone's new in their faith, but the process is meant for growth. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready for it. You sense this frustration of like, guys, what is going on? Like, y'all need to grow up. Like you, you need to grow up in your faith because the ideal Christian walk, the ideal walk, it requires growth. It requires growth. So with that in mind, again, Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 14, you may have realized just from last week, Colossians can kind of be a difficult book to read. Right? There's all these little short statements and stanzas and commas and colons and semicolons. And in fact, the passage we're reading today in the Greek is one sentence. It's one sentence from verse nine through verse 14. If I were to turn this into an English teacher, they'd reject it automatically, right? They say, you cannot write like this. But 
Again, with the translation and everything Greek to English, this is, is what we have. And I promise you, if we go verse by verse and, and just go through this thing together, it is such a rich passage. Beginning in verse nine, it says this. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we know it's your word that's been spoken, and this morning we trust in your word. God, would you help us align our lives with the way our life is meant to look according to your scriptures? God, while we hold your word in in just such great regard, God, we don't worship the book, we worship the author of the book. God, this morning we're after you, we're after your heart. God, as we pursue you, would you help us understand your word? We might apply it to our life and greater glorify you in everything that we say and we do. Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that you'd open our eyes, that we'd see things we haven't seen before, open our ears to understand things we've heard but have not yet understood, and open our hearts to respond in love. Jesus, we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. We've got three points to our passage this morning. Each one of those points is gonna lead us through this one progressive sentence. And the first point that we see in the passage when it comes to the ideal walk is praying for knowledge. Praying for knowledge. Verse nine begins with this. And so from the day we heard, remember last week Paul had heard that this this group of people had come to faith. Since the day that we heard you have come to faith, we have not ceased to pray for you. Since we heard about your, you giving your heart to Jesus, giving your life to Jesus, since we heard you became a follower of Jesus, since we heard you became a Christian, as we call it, we just can't stop praying for you. We're constantly lifting you up, constantly supporting you, constantly praying for you. And talking about the ideal walk, what we see right away is the ideal walk has prayer support. Right, you heard of air support before? The ideal walk requires prayer support. Each of us should have someone in our corner lifting us up. Each each, each of us should also be doing the same thing for other believers in our life, helping them, praying for them, supporting them through prayer. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, asking that you would be filled with knowledge. Now, knowledge doesn't happen overnight, right? Right? That's kind of bit by bit, right? You don't just know everything in an instant. Uh, Maybe in your career, early on, you'd say, man, I don't know what I was doing. (laughs) I made so many mistakes. Thank God for that uh, gracious boss that I had who kept me around to to continue helping me learn and grow um, and increase in knowledge. All right, maybe in sports, when you first took that position, maybe you'd never played it before. Um, I remember growing up playing baseball, like I played shortstop because I was pretty good at that and then got moved to second base. I was like, why do they keep moving me? And then, and then third base and then to first base and I realized it's because I kept getting slower and slower and slower but I could still catch the ball. Right? One of my baseball coaches laughs and he's like, yeah, that's what we did. Right? 
but, but I increased in knowledge. I learned as time went on. Uh, how many of you have increased in, in your knowledge with your spouse? Husbands, just raise your hand. It's a good thing. Just raise it. Say, yes, I know more. We're supposed to. We're supposed to increase in our knowledge over time, and knowledge takes time. Knowledge requires growth. It's this process of learning and growing and understanding who God is. And look what he says, may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, they've understood the grace because they became believers, right? They came to that moment where they understood, man, it's not about my good work. It's not about anything that I say, anything that I do. It's all about what Christ has said and what Christ has done. It's grace. I enter into relationship with Jesus through grace. That relationship is sustained by grace, and by grace, when I die, I get to live with him forever. The whole thing is about grace. But look what he says. Increase in our knowledge of his will. We need to also not move away from grace, but just grace to also understanding. So we understand who God is, so we know who God is, so we can know what God's word says. This is the first thing he prays. He prays that they would have knowledge of who God is and therefore what's, what God's will is for our life. He essentially says this, since you became followers of Jesus, I've been praying that you would grow in knowing God. This is the first part of the ideal walk. It's this growth process of continuing to know and understand God more and more and more as our life goes on. The second point in our passage is practicing the worthy walk. Practicing the worthy walk. He doesn't just pray for knowledge for the sake of knowledge, right? He doesn't say, I just want you to know everything about God and that'll be enough. Just know a lot, everything will be good. That's not what he says. He's, he says, prayer that you'd increase in knowledge, that you'd understand God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 10, so as to walk. This is a purpose statement. The reason I want you to understand who God is, the reason I want you to know who God is, is so that we'd walk. Right, a lot of Christians talk the talk, right? They know the words, they know the lingo, but we're meant to what? Walk the walk. Right, this whole thing is not to just, isn't meant to stay up in our heads for knowledge. It's actually supposed to move from our head knowledge to heart conviction to hands action. The things we know about God, the things we, we understand in his word, the things we know about Jesus, things we know about the Holy Spirit aren't meant to just stay up here. If they just stay up here and we keep increasing in our head knowledge, we're completely missing the point. Increase in knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. It's not just about our brains, it's also about our behavior. It's not just about what we know, it's about what we show. There's a bajillion different ways we can say the same thing, right? It's meant to put feet to our faith. James chapter two, verse 18, it says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. I'll show you my faith by how I live my life. I'll show you my belief based upon the behavior you see in my life every day. And it says that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, not just kind of pleasing. Right, not just like sometimes I get it right, sometimes I please God. Occasionally a blind squirrel finds a nut, right? That's not what we're going for here. We're going for a Christian life, the ideal walk that is fully pleasing 
to God. That's why we're here, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the purpose of our life, glorify God in everything we say and everything that we do. To please God. How many of you want to live a life that pleases God? I do. I really do. Like, I, I, I get it wrong a lot. And hopefully you'd say the same thing. Not just about me, but about your life as well. <laughs> and my pastor sure gets it wrong a lot. He does. We all do. But deep down inside, in our heart of hearts, I think each of us, if we're truly walking with the Lord, we could say, man, you know, I, I get it wrong so frequently, but I desperately desire to get it right. I want to live a life that fully pleases God in everything that I say and everything that I do. That's my desire. I pray that that's your desire as well. And Paul doesn't just leave it there. God doesn't just say, walk worthy and please me. He actually shows us how. He gives us three aspects in what follow next of a worthy walk. The first aspect of a worthy walk is being fruitful. It's to be fruitful. He says this, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's the knowledge again, right? Because knowledge should show, what we know should show, the things we, we understand in our brain should, should affect our behavior, right? That we would bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. Now here's what this means. This doesn't just mean we just go out and we do good things. We just do our best to go do good things because the way Jesus puts it in John 15, that's up on the screen for you, Jesus says this. Jesus says, abide in me, and abide means like continue, remain, stay. You could say get close and stay close. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay, we're not meant to just go out and be like love and then love happens and joy, peace, peace, right? Those are the fruit that's supposed to be conveyed in the Christian life, but all of those are meant to be a result of being what? Attached to Jesus, to be abiding in Jesus. See, the Christian life, it begins with Jesus, and it's not like we graduate on to bigger and better things. The Christian life begins with Jesus. It stays with Jesus. We never depart from that. We enter into a relationship with him, and then we live our life completely with him, through him, and for him. Jesus is the point. We're meant to abide in Christ. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, again, gets close, stays close. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Get this. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Christians aren't meant to go through this life producing counterfeit fruit, right? What we need to do is connect with Jesus, stay with Jesus, and allow him by grace to produce this fruitfulness in our life. Now, how do we abide? I want to abide. I want to live a life fully pleasing to God, abide, bear fruit. How do I abide? Two words, uh, works and words. I abide first in Jesus' works, I trust in him always and forever. Okay, never has it ever been about the good deeds that I produce in my life. It's always been about the good things that Christ has done that I couldn't accomplish. The Christian life begins by trusting in his works, right? Believing that Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, that Jesus died the death that you and I deserve to die, that he came back to life to defeat death so that you and I could live with him forever. We trust in the works of Jesus, 
That's the first word. Second word is words. Words. We trust in the words of Jesus. We abide in the words of Jesus. Jesus says things, John 14, 15, man, if you love me, do what I say. Elsewhere he says, you are my friends if you do what I say. Abiding in Christ means listening to him, obeying him. He says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, this whole thing isn't just about knowledge. Some of it should be about knowledge. We should understand who God is so that we can glorify him better. And in doing so, we bear fruit. The ideal walk is a walk that abides in Christ and his works and his words, and therefore it bears fruit. The second thing he says is be strengthened. Be strengthened. Verse 11 says this, being strengthened, I love that it doesn't say be strong. Right? The Christian life isn't just about be strong. Being strengthened. Strength put in. Well, being strengthened by what? Being strengthened by what? Let me give you four quick things. Talking with Pastor Mark Yule this week, man, what does it look like for a Christian to be strengthened? Not just be strong and put our game face on and put our head down and get through it, but be strengthened. How do I be strengthened by God? First way, Holy Spirit. If you get this one wrong, you're gonna get all of it wrong. If you get this one wrong, we're gonna get all of it wrong. The Bible says when you and I come to faith in Christ that we receive a power like we've never had before that the Holy Spirit comes into our life, that God comes into our life. We talk about that word, Emmanuel, God with us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. It's a strength that you and I have never had before. Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Man, live in the Spirit, trust in the Spirit, abide in the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, learn from the Spirit. Every day of our life, we're meant to walk by the Spirit so that we can be strengthened from the inside out. How else are we strengthened? We're strengthened through knowledge, right? When my knowledge of God grows, when I understand that he's in control, when I understand that he's sovereign, I find strength in that. I find strength in knowing that God's got every situation covered. Some of the ways that we can do that practically, Pastor Bob mentioned one of it already. Man, just attending church. Being with each other like this and being strengthened through studying God's word so that we can put it into practice and apply it to our life. How else can we study God's word and be strengthened? Well, we, we can get in the word on our own, right? Have a personal quiet time, a devotion. You can get a Bible app, join a men's group, women's group, small group, home group, campus group, whatever it is, chronological Bible study, mom's group. There's all sorts of ways to plug in, get involved so that we can be strengthened and continue to grow in our faith. Another way I'm strengthened is when I admit that I'm weak. Because what happens when I know that I'm weak, he's what? He's strong. Again, it's not about game face, be strong. No, if God's strongest when I'm weak, then you know what? I just want to acknowledge my weakness and say, God, I'm weak, I need you to be strong. I need your strength, I can't do this on my own. Another way we admit our weakness is to friends. Because when we let our friends in on tough situations, tough circumstances, guess what, they encourage They put courage into us. We're strengthened through the encouragement of our friends and our family. It's another reason to plug in and get connected so that we can be strengthened from other believers. 
And he says this, for all endurance and patience, we are strengthened to go through trials. Now, why would we need this type of strength? Because trials are everywhere. They are going to happen. They're inevitable. Jesus, John 16, Jesus 16, he said the word, so I guess it could be the same thing. It's up on the screen, it says this. I, this is Jesus speaking, have said these things to you that in me you have, may have peace. I'm saying these things to you so you can have peace. In the world, you'll have what? Tribulation. But freak out, because I don't know what's going on. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. Why? Jesus has overcome the world. The worst of the worst this world has to offer, guess who's already conquered it? Christ himself. Take heart, don't panic, don't freak out, don't lose your cool. Take heart. Because Jesus himself has overcome the world. I had an opportunity last weekend to preach at a church downtown um, and I preached on Psalm 23, four which is that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. And while I was studying that, I learned a few really important things about myself. The first thing is this. When I see a valley on the horizon, a tribulation, a trial, um, a low spot, a depression, something difficult, you know what I like to do instead of through? Around. I like to go around. That's what I wanna do. I wanna go around because pain isn't fun. But Jesus says, through. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I feel no evil, why? Because you're with me. My other tendency, if I find myself in the valley, guess what I want to do? Out, out. My preference is around, if I can avoid it, but if I'm in it, I just want out. I just want out. And what I've realized about myself with all the different situations going on in our world, with racial tension, all the COVID stuff, all the unknowns, all the fighting, just all the anger that people have towards each other, that Christians have towards Christians, I just wanna be done. I just wanna be done. I just wanna get out. But here's the deal. What I learned is that oftentimes um, in like ancient Israel shepherding stuff, um, when, when it was really, really hot outside and times were really difficult and the sheep needed some shelter, guess what the shepherd did? He brought them into a valley because there was something down there they needed. You ever watch Man vs. Wild with Bear Grylls? Where's the best food and the best water? Down in the valley. See, instead of all of us just trying to get out, I think it's time that we fix our eyes on Jesus and say, Jesus, why, what, I don't know what's going on here, but you're the good shepherd. And right, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my God who walks with me on the mountaintops, my God who walks with me through green pastures, my God who leads me beside still waters, guess where else he is? He is leading me through the valley. And the lesson I wanna learn, the thing that's down there for me, the knowledge that I need for me to live my Christian life for him better, it's there. Church, let me ask you this. Stop all the fighting. Stop the hatred. Stop the chaos. Stop just trying to get out. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and say, Jesus, what, what do you have in this for me? What's the reason we're going through this? What's, uh, what's the lesson in the trial? Notice this, he says, uh, with joy. For all endurance and patience, with joy. Because that makes sense, doesn't it? You ever go on an endurance run? Is that joyful? 
No. James chapter one, verses two through four, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's what we like to do, right? Oh, this sucks, joy. (laughs) For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have what? It's full effect. This is why we need to go through. Not just climb out, not just be done, not just be over it, not just shut down, not just recluse ourselves, go through. Because the steadfastness has its full effect that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Why? Because the Christian life is progress and progress is painful. He leads us through it so that we can be strengthened, so that we can go through the other trials we might experience in our life. The ideal worthy walk is a walk that's strengthened by God. The third thing he gives us is to be thankful. To be thankful. Verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father. It's interesting that giving thanks would be included in a list of how to walk worthy. You'd think of other stuff, like other, give generosity. Right, and tithing. That's thankfulness, gratitude. Gratefulness for anything that's going on in our life. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, the Apostle Paul says this, rejoice always, not just mountaintops, not just meadows, not just um, green pastures, not just still waters, even in the valley. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. We actually see Paul model this in this passage, don't we? We have not ceased to pray for you. He actually practiced what he preached. And then verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances, whether it's a mountaintop or whether it's a valley, we thank God, why? Because the God of the mountains is the God of the valleys. He's with us the whole way through, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Mature believers are thankful believers. Have you stopped lately and just thanked God for what he's doing in your life? Even if you don't understand it, even if you don't like it, even if it's the most treacherous valley you've gone through, have you thanked God for leading you through it? The ideal worthy walk is a, is a life characterized by thankfulness. The third point of our outline this morning is our new position in Christ. Our new position in Christ. Again, the ideal Christian walk never ventures away from our new position in Christ. It starts there and it stays there. It says this, giving thanks to our Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance, that means we're an heir, of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Six different positional things, six different things that you and I now have because of what Christ has done. He says in Christ we're qualified. We're qualified. That means you and I have done nothing to deserve this. Christ has done everything on our behalf. Right, typically you qualify for a promotion, you qualify for a pay raise, you, you qualify for your bonus, you do the right thing so that a good result will happen. If you're trying to get to the final round of some playoffs, you have to qualify through this round, then qualify through this round, and here God just says, I have qualified you. This zero work on your behalf, Christ has done it all. He says we're heirs. 
We're heirs. We have an inheritance from God. At one point, we were slaves to sin. Okay, we were dead. And he didn't just transfer us or, or, or save us from that. He brought us to something better. We were slaves to one thing. Now we're heirs of the most high God. The King of kings, the Lord, the Lord of lords, and, and we haven't done anything to deserve that. It's only been Christ and Christ alone. It says we've been delivered, taken out of a bad situation and transferred into a really, really great one. Right? He didn't just say, all right, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna die and, and wash your sins away for now. So clean slate, the rest is on you. This would be gracious in itself to give us a fresh start and say, I'm erasing all the bad deeds and I'm just get it right moving forward. That's not what happens. He erased everything. He's, he's delivered us out of this and done the whole thing, transferred us into a relationship with him. It says we're redeemed. It means we're bought back. That's another word for ransom. Ransom. We were bought back from our sins through what the work that Christ did on the cross and this says finally that we're forgiven. The Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Now, which of those six things have you and I done for ourselves? None of them. None of them. It's grace from the beginning of the Christian life to the end of the Christian life. The ideal, worthy walk of a believer is all about grace, it's all about Jesus. This morning, we have an opportunity to take communion together. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. Um, our communion cups look a little different these days, um, as you've probably noticed. If you didn't get one, um, we've got some ushers coming forward with baskets of communion things. If you just wanna slip your hand up, um, we'll, we'll pass one to you and make sure you're able to take communion with us. I wanna ask you a few questions in the meantime before we get into communion. The first question is this, how is your walk? How is your walk? Is it ideal? Is it the ideal walk that we talk about in Colossians 1? Are you growing? Healthy things grow. Are you growing in your knowledge of who God is? Are you growing in your understanding of Jesus? Are you growing in how you embrace the grace of God? Are you walking worthy? Are you abiding in Christ and therefore producing fruit? Are you strengthened by him? Are you walking by the spirit? Or are you walking by your own strength? Are you thankful? Not just for the mountaintops, not just for the green pastures, not just the still waters, but are you thankful that God's with you even in the valley? Maybe all this is new to you and you're feeling your heart is stirred and maybe you too would like to follow Jesus. You can do that this morning. John chapter one, verse 12 says this, but it's all who receive him who say yes. Yes, Jesus, I want this grace. I want this new position, this new life in you. It's all who receive him, who believe in his name, who trust him. And believing in his name isn't just acknowledging that at some point he existed. It's, it, it's, it's understanding, believing, and trusting that Christ has done everything we could not do for ourselves. We receive him, we believe in him, and then it says we become children of God. 
If that's you this morning, maybe you'd like to speak to a pastor or speak to an elder, um, whatever it is. Some of us are gonna be down front. We would love to have a conversation with you and help you take your next step in faith to help you begin this journey of growth, this journey of trusting Jesus day in and day out. Communion offers us an opportunity to do three things. The first thing we do is we look back. We look back at what Christ has done for us, that he lived a perfect life you and I couldn't live for ourselves. He died a death you and I deserve to die and he raised to life, defeating death that you and I could truly live. We look back and we're thankful to what Christ has done. We also look in. We look at our own heart. We examine our heart and say, God, what else do you want from me? What else do you have for me? Where am I falling short? Where am I stagnant? Where am I not growing? And then third and finally, we look forward because someday Jesus will return. Someday all the wrongs will be made right. Someday the valleys the tension, the turmoil, the tribulation, the trials, all the things, that, the, the difficult things we face in our life, there'll be no more. We look forward expectantly waiting with gratitudes in our hearts that Christ will continue to do something that you and I cannot do. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was enjoying a meal with his disciples and during the meal, he took a piece of bread. He broke that bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Jesus. In the same way, he took a cup and he said, this cup is is the new covenant. It's my blood poured out for you. Would you do this in remembrance of him? Jesus, this morning we are so grateful for your grace. We are grateful that we entered into a relationship through grace, that we're sustained in a relationship by grace, and that someday we'll live and reign with you forever because you continue to be gracious. God, would our lives not just be about knowledge? Would it not just be about being puffed up and understanding your word and understanding who you are so we might be able to make a better point or argue better about something, but God, would all of life be for all of Jesus himself? Would the things we know begin to show in our life, God, the things that we have in our head, would they move to our hearts to be convicted so that our hands can show the things you'd have us show? God, this ideal walk is difficult, but we know that we can be strengthened by you and enjoy this walk every single day. God, would you be glorified through our life, everything we say, everything we do, and would you equip us to respond this week through the things that we've seen in your word this morning, and would we respond in a way that brings you glory and you glory alone. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, I'm gonna ask you to stand up real quick. In John chapter 11, there's this amazing story where Jesus' best friend, one of his best friends, Lazarus, has died. He shows up three days later, and he's weeping. He's so upset, and everyone around is upset, but Jesus comes to the tomb, and what does he say? He says, Lazarus, come out. And this incredible thing happens. See, Lazarus, who was once dead, now he's alive because of what Christ has done. 
Friends, we're about to sing a song, uh, and here's what's going on. Each, each and every single time you and I came to faith, this thing happened where it's like Christ came to our life and said, Thomas, come out, come alive, and I came alive. He came into your life, and he said, come alive, and, and, you, came, and you came out of the grave. So this morning, as we celebrate new life in Christ, as we celebrate this new position we have through what he has done, this new position that's sustained by him, uh, let's sing that you called my name and I came out of the grave, that I came from darkness into your glorious day. Let's sing this song together, friends. God's word says that you and I were dead, but we have been made alive. It says that we were sons of darkness, but now we are sons and daughters of light. Friends, Jesus has made us worthy. Therefore, we go and walk worthy. Highlands Church, would each of our lives this week be characterized by this ideal walk, by a life that abides in Christ, by a life that's strengthened through his presence, through the spirit in our life, and would we be thankful as we live for him. Church, walk with Jesus and walk for Jesus this week. We love you guys and we'll see you soon.